Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is back, and you know what that means. We get to bet on what color Gatorade will dunk the winning coach. Now, each of the last two years, the Bucks and the Rams have gone for blue. Three of the last four years, blue has been the winning color, and yet blue comes in as the second largest favorite this year at plus 390. At plus 200, you can get orange. At plus 400, you can get clear or watercolor. Yellow, green, slash lemon, lime, also at plus 400. Red is sitting at plus 600, and purple comes in at plus 1,000. All of your big game bets are available at Bet Online Sportsbook, and you can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Using the link in the description to this episode, Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it is as always a podcast welcome 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 everybody it is a fantabulous february 6th according to my count it may not be that according to your count but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is That you may be listening. We have got a fantabulous show coming at you today. Welcome to Super Bowl week. We got to start off by talking about the Brooklyn Nets. And to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, let's play our very poorly produced Last Dance theme song for the Nets. Kyrie Irving is so disgruntled with the Brooklyn Nets that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and and that's I don't want to be here all right so Let's take you behind the scenes and show you how the sausage gets made over here at the Take It Easy podcast. It's something I like to do a little bit. You hear a little bit of sarcasm in my voice, and trust me, this entire Kyrie Irving story is going to feel sarcastic, and this is the reason why. This was the first NFL Monday we had 
without the NFL since September of 2022. Every Sunday, the podcast involves me sitting down, talking about whatever happened in the NFL, big picture stories, small stories, whatever we find interesting. It's 45 minutes talking about what happened usually over the NFL weekend. Sometimes we would mix in some college football. It's more so what Wired Up is for. But this was the first Sunday that I didn't have a Monday show mapped out and planned. Every Monday, it's been football preparation. And so this weekend, I started sitting down thinking with all this free time because I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in five years and I will never watch it again just a healthier, happier person without it. No football, no meaningful basketball. I saw a snippet of the Lakers and Pelicans game. No sports. I was kind of on a vacation because I was staying in downtown Sacramento instead of my normal apartment. So with all of this downtime, without thinking about sports or watching about sports, what I decided to do was start thinking about long-form podcast topics for the week ahead. And there's only so much Super Bowl conversation we can have. A lot of it's going to involve our friends of the show, like Walter Mitchell and Morgan from Australia and Razor Rosenthal and Blake Jude and whoever else is going to spend their lovely time talking with us this week. So I started thinking about this interesting topic I've been trying to weave in for a little while now, and it's about Brianna Stewart and the WNBA, and how there's a really interesting labor battle going on between WNBA management and the WNBA players, which I find to be incredibly uh, incredibly fascinating because men's sports got a 50-year head start over women's sports to begin growing their leagues, developing into these gigantic economies and billion-dollar corporations, and... This is because it was expressly illegal for women to play sports. In England, in the United States, it was expressly illegal for close to to 20 to 30 years for women to play sports. And it took another 20 years after the laws were changed for women's sports to actually have a generation capable of putting together a sustaining professional product. And so the WNBA begins in the 1990s, professional women's soccer leagues begin in the 90s and 2000s, whereas like the NBA, for example, started in the 1940s. The NFL as we know it began in the 1940s after World War II. Baseball, as it's currently, I mean, baseball existed long before then, but baseball has had a hundred year head start over women's professional sports. And so what's interesting is that we are in real time watching these historical examples of women's sports growing into what is essentially about to become a 1970s NBA type of labor battle where we're talking about basic labor practices and basic management versus labor fights that exist in all sectors of the economy about to go down in the WNBA the same way it did in the NBA in the 1970s. And I brought in these examples of Oscar Robertson fighting for a player's union and collective bargaining and revenue sharing. By the way, revenue sharing in the WNBA just began in 2020. 2020 was the first time they had a revenue sharing model in the WNBA. And this story was so fascinating. And Brianna Stewart was talking about fighting to get private flight or chartered flights not uh, becoming a mandate and a cost of doing business. And we had done research into the WNBA owners. I was really excited to do this podcast. 
And now we have to talk about Kyrie fucking Irving. And look, the WNBA podcast is probably going to be on Tuesday. I'm not saying that it's going to disappear or evaporate. I had spent an hour and a half doing an interest, like just curiously researching, finding information. And then motherfucking Kyrie Irving had himself a weekend. We released our last show of the week with Razor Rosenthal Friday morning, about 3 a.m. East Coast time. That afternoon on Friday, we get the news that Kyrie Irving is on his way to, or he has requested a trade out of Brooklyn. The reason he's requested a trade out of Brooklyn is because he went to management negotiating an extension. They put together a whole lot of stipulations in his max contract or less than a max contract. And Kyrie Irving said, nope. And look, I totally understand the notion of being disrespected if you're Kyrie Irving in that sense. There is no precedent for giant amounts of your contract being based on uh, some sort of some sort of contract language that stipulates if you do this, then you'll make this sort of money. There is no precedent in the NBA. These contracts are fully guaranteed. There's very rarely precautions taking place by management. It's a totally unprecedented situation for any star player in the NBA. Not even a superstar player, just a star player negotiating a max. That doesn't exist and it's totally unprecedented. From the management standpoint, this is an unprecedented situation. Kyrie Irving, as a concept, is an unprecedented situation. So I understand management choosing that. I'll side with labor because I always side with labor. Yeah, no, that money's got to be guaranteed. You ain't signing no contract with all those stipulations in it if there's literally no precedent for it because now you're setting the precedent for other teams to make other types of Kyrie Irving structured contracts. Always going to side with management on that circumstance. And so in this situation, you find yourself looking at Kyrie Irving and looking at what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, it looks like they're heading towards some sort of breakup, which, by the way, probably was going to happen anyways. They were pretty much on the up and out by the time we got to 2021 with everything that happened with the anti-vax situation. And look... Jared Greenberg, I, I, uh, TNT did a great point about like everything that's happened from the, the Kyrie Irving getting Kenny Atkinson fired to then the season where they almost made the playoff, but then Kyrie Irving sat out uh, because of vaccination status. And then they almost, uh, with the injuries to direct, then they trade for James Harden and James Harden's like, holy shit, get me out of here as fast as I can. This place is a shit show. Then you have the anti-vax situation of 2021. James Harden gets traded at the deadline in January of 2022. Then you have Kyrie Irving basically coming back because they were running out of players due to the COVID spike of December 2020. Look, there's just a whole lot of shit that went down, which then leads to everything that happened with Kyrie being anti-Semitic back in November and then the trade request in the summer where he opted into the contract and Kevin Durant. Look, it's we know it's been a shit show for Brooklyn. It's been wild as hell to watch what's happened with Brooklyn. I don't need to do the deep dive on all of that because we've done it before. We know the story. It's not really important for context here. What's interesting at this point is at the end of the day, Kyrie Irving wanted to use his leverage to stay in Brooklyn and Brooklyn's management stepped up and said no. And I don't know whether this was a 
negotiating tactic on Brooklyn's front in terms of they offered him this contract because they didn't want him back at all. I don't know if Brooklyn's ownership made that contract offer to protect themselves or whether they gave him such an egregiously low offer in terms of the stipulations in the max contract that there was no coming back for it. I mean, the reports from a number, I think it was Chris Haynes reporting that Kyrie was super insulted by the contract and there wasn't really a coming back from it. And as someone who leans pro labor, I understand that point. If your boss lowballs you and puts in these stipulations that are totally unprecedented, yeah, you got you got a right to be pissed about that. And you've got a, an absolute desire to leave at that point because you know the money is not coming. And so if that was the moment where Kyrie walks out the door in Brooklyn because there was no coming back from that, totally understandable. What I'm interested in is whether or not Brooklyn made him a serious offer at all. Which happens a lot in sports. Uh, teams, especially in baseball, they will give such low ball offers to see if they can not necessarily trick players into signing, but giving such low ball offers that the player then has to come up at the end of it. And this is why free agency is a really good thing. But point being, I would be interested to see details about how the contract negotiations went down between Dallas and Brooklyn. And so that was a long-winded way to get to what happened on Friday. So then we have the trade request. And the thing that I said at that time and still believe now, it just wasn't into a microphone on the podcast, is, man, you got to be desperate as hell to trade for Kyrie Irving. And there are teams who are desperate as hell. And the ones who immediately came to the negotiating table... I would say are probably the four most desperate in the NBA at this point. There's one notable missing one, but for the most part, you could say the four most desperate teams, the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Heat, and the Suns. Lakers already kind of know the details behind that one. Dallas Mavericks, man, Dallas messed up a whole bunch in getting a second star around Luka Doncic with everything that happened with Porzingis and trading multiple first round picks to get Porzingis, picks that are still being used, by the way. The New York Knicks still have the rights to the draft pick that Dallas gave them in the Porzingis trade for this draft. This draft is when that trade finalizes. So Dallas is still dealing with the ramifications of the Porzingis trade, plus they didn't re-sign Jalen Brunson. And look, I wouldn't have gave Jalen Brunson the contract that he got. At the same time, he's undoubtedly been a super important piece, and it's hard to find players who mesh with what Luka Doncic does. And so I understand the decision to want to re-sign him and the decision to not do so. They were just never able to really replace Jalen Brunson. And the closest thing they could find was Dinwiddie, who was the biggest piece they got back in the Porzingis trade. And if you've been following the NBA this year, Porzingis is balling out in Washington. Now, a lot of it might be empty stats. Absolutely. Washington's a play-in team, and Porzingis is either the second-best player or maybe the best player on that Mavericks team, depending on how you feel about Bradley Beal. So Dallas basically over the last four years has gone from Kristaps Porzingis and Jalen Brunson and flipped those two into Spencer Dinwiddie, Davis Bertans, and Christian Wood. And they haven't really gotten any draft pick compensation in exchange because when they flipped Porzingis to Washington, they didn't get any draft picks in exchange for that. So they've given up draft picks 
and Brunson, who was a player who was a key part of the team, they lost him for nothing. So Dallas was actually in a pretty desperate situation to find a a second piece around Luka without having the assets to really go get a star player. And so Dallas was in a desperate spot. Miami's in a desperate spot because they gave Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson bad contracts. And Jimmy Butler's about to make $50 million a year for the next five years. And I think right now they're sitting around six in the Eastern Conference and they were number one seed last year. There's a little bit of desperation in the short term. If they could flip Kyle, like kind of the same thing the Lakers had, where if they could flip Westbrook good, if not, whatever. Flipping Kyle Lowry was the thing that they were hoping to get out of a Kyrie trade. So I guess that one made sense for them. And then there's Phoenix, which everything that's gone wrong with Phoenix in the last year. DeAndre Ayton hating his coach signing a new contract with another team, but because he was a restricted free agent, came back. Everything that's happening with Jay Crowder right now, Chris Paul being injured, Devin Booker being injured. They were at one point 11th in the West. Now they're 6th, but they're two games away from being 11th again. Like the, the Suns are desperate as hell. And so those are the four teams that were like, yeah, that makes sense. Kyrie Irving would be connected to them because those are the desperate-ass teams. If your team is good and stable... Don't even think about trading for Kyrie Irving. If your team is bad and stable, don't even think about trading for Kyrie Irving. It's just something none of those teams should do. And when I say good and stable, like Milwaukee, they were never going to trade for Kyrie Irving, ever. Um, The Chicago Bulls are bad and stable. They were never going to trade for Kyrie Irving. Never going to trade for him. Like, the Bulls and the Bucks are two very different teams right now. Neither of them would have considered trading for Kyrie Irving. You would have to be desperate as hell to trade anything meaningful for Kyrie Irving. And, there, and look, if you were going to re-sign a new ex- extension, you could argue giving up more money. Why would you want to re-sign Kyrie Irving to a long-term extension if you're any of these teams? Everything that's happened shows that you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that player at 33 years old signed to a long-term extension. For one year... If you can get a one-year rental trade, it might be worth it to make the one-year rental. And ultimately, I wasn't sure if Brooklyn was going to actually trade him or not. And look, Kyrie Irving, it was reported, would sit out the season if he didn't get traded, which was more of a leverage play than anything else. That was pretty clear that he was going to come back if he didn't get the contract. It was just a leverage play on Brooklyn to make the trade happen. And Brooklyn was standing there like uh, the CJ McCollum tweet where they were like, I'm trying, Jennifer. We tried to trade you twice and it didn't work. We were just going to outright wave you. It's been confirmed. Joe Sy watched the anti-Semitic film that Kyrie Irving was promoting on his social media and doubling down with in press conferences. And his gut reaction was, we need to wave this person. And the reason they didn't was because then it would make Kyrie Irving a martyr and making Kyrie Irving a martyr would be a problem because now the people who are anti-semitic and ready to do something about it as opposed to Kyrie Irving who's like anti-semitic but not going to be taken to the streets to be outright anti-semitic the people who are anti-semitic and ready to take to the streets those are the people who would have been rallied around the martyrdom of Kyrie Irving and so Brooklyn did the right thing to not release him I also thought they were just going to sit him down until the contract played out because it was just such a wild situation. And look, at the end of the day, 
Kyrie Irving did the thing that I initially said he would, which was he would apologize, he would walk it back, he would denounce anti-Semitism, even though that's a complicated line to follow because black people having to denounce anti-Semitism is layered in all sorts of complicated history that not really going to dive too deeply into here. I, th- these are things that I anticipated would happen. And so Kyrie Irving is in this position where he is back in Brooklyn playing basketball. The Nets win some games, lose some games. They're in the middle of the pack in the Western in the Eastern Conference. At one point, they got up to three. Now they're five. Like, they're middle of the pack team. And then the contract talks come up, and Brooklyn's like, you know, we haven't really gotten to a place where we want you around long-term unless you do this, this, and this, which were the same language that the team was using when they were putting together that list of things that Kyrie Irving would have to do in order to get back in Brooklyn. Like, they were putting together a meeting with... There was like a six-step program for him to reclaim himself, and ultimately he they backed off on the six-step plan when Kyrie Irving showed a level of contrition, did the interview with SNY. I think it was Ian Begley who might have been... There. But basically, when they do the interview and they do the press conference, that's when Kyrie Irving backs down on... The backs down and is allowed back to the Brooklyn Nets after about three weeks and the NBA players rallying around him because then it becomes a labor versus management fight, which has been a lot of this Kyrie Irving story is a labor versus management fight mixed in with Kyrie Irving doing a whole lot of bullshit. So then we get to today. I'm putting together the Brianna Stewart, New York Liberty, WNBA Labor Struggle podcast, and we get the news that Kyrie Irving got traded to the Dallas Mavericks, the team that we talked about a second ago, desperate as hell. Chris Tapps, Porzingis, Jalen Brunson, and two, uh, they basically flipped that into Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertons and Christian Wood, which is fine. It's just not what trading Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Jalen Brunson would normally net you in return. And so Dallas trades for Kyrie Irving. They flip Dorian Finney Smith for Markeith Morris, which is, you know, Markeith Morris isn't the same player he once was. Dorian Finney Smith is a fine role player, but not really an important piece of the trade, more of a salary filler. And the trade ultimately becomes one half season of Kyrie Irving for Spencer Dinwiddie and a 2029 first round pick. At least you didn't overpay Dallas. Because all this trade reads to me is desperation. Desperation in trading for Kyrie Irving. Desperation in making that move. Desperation in putting yourself in a position where you would even have to trade for him in the first place. Maybe they sign him to a long-term extension and this looks a whole lot better for Dallas. Maybe they sign him to a long-term extension and it looks a whole lot worse for Dallas because from a practical basketball standpoint, Dallas can't afford to lose him for nothing. They literally just went through this last offseason with Jalen Brunson. And look, they got back... Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think they had a sign-and-trade there. I think they just straight-up lost Jalen Brunson, but... Like, they can't afford to just straight up lose Jalen Brunson and replace him with nothing. They can't straight up afford to lose Kyrie Irving and get nothing. So Brooklyn or Dallas is in this position where flipping Spencer Dinwiddie, their second leading scorer, 
on a team where the second leading scorer doesn't really mean anything because of how high the usage rate is for Luka Doncic. Flipping your second leading scorer for a better second leading scorer in Kyrie and giving up a future first round pick in exchange, like at least you didn't overpay, at least you weren't giving up building blocks of your future to trade for Kyrie Irving. Because remember, back in November, Kyrie Irving wasn't being touched with a six-foot pole. Like, they they wanted to get rid of him. Nobody would touch him. With good reason. Kyrie Irving, right there with Kanye West, was the face, well, and Antonio Brown, was the face of anti-Semitism in America during a time when there was an uptick in hate crimes as a result of Kanye West and Kyrie Irving becoming martyrs and empowering a whole bunch of Nazis and anti-Semites to commit hate crimes against Jewish people. So Kyrie Irving was untouchable with a six-foot pole. And then two months later, he shows a level of contrition, sincere or otherwise. All he needed was just to show contrition. Sincerity is besides the point. And we look up and Kyrie Irving's getting flipped for the Dallas Mavericks' second-leading scorer and a first-round pick. And look, Kyrie Irving's never going to score more than Luka Doncic because Luka Doncic is the true number one on the Dallas Mavericks. So what they've essentially done is flipped their number two for a better number two and added a first-round pick down the road as compensation to make that happen, which in a vacuum, if you say they just traded a number two who scores 17 points a game in exchange for a number two who scores 25 points a game on similar usage rates, one who is an all-star, one who is a good player, middle-of-the-road point guard relative to the rest of the league, you would say Brooklyn, or I'm sorry, you would say Dallas did pretty good, and you would say Brooklyn got something for Kyrie Irving, which they wouldn't have gotten if they didn't trade him. In a vacuum, that all makes sense. Then we look at it when you put names to it. And like I said, at the very top of talking about this, it's an unprecedented situation because Kyrie Irving is an unprecedented case study when it comes to a player who is available with all of the bullshit that I call it with Kyrie Irving that I was ready to just ignore because until he actually got traded, there wasn't really a reason to talk about this story. Well, now he got traded and now we can talk about how you got to be desperate as hell to make that move. And in the, at the end of the day, Dallas was just desperate enough because like we were talking about a few minutes ago, the Dallas Mavericks traded a number two, who scores 17 points a game, which is about 70th in the NBA, for a player scoring 25 points a game, slightly less usage rate, is starting in the All-Star game as a byproduct of conference, but, you know, one of the 20 best players in the NBA this season. They got that player for not a top 50 player and flipped a first-round pick in exchange. Now, that player they traded is under contract for two seasons. The player they got, uh, who's a top 20 player, is under contract for half a season. In a vacuum, you can make the argument that that is a plus for Dallas. From a basketball standpoint, 
here's my evaluation. Dallas is no better or worse today than they were before trading for Kyrie Irving and making that flip of a better number two versus your current number two. They are no better or worse today, relatively speaking, because in the Western Conference, there are, I know we haven't done our NBA recap, everything that happened during football season, but here's a quick synopsis. Dallas exists in a blob of like seven teams who are what I would classify as second round exits. And what I mean by that is they expect to make the second round of the playoffs. Only two of those teams can make the second round of the playoffs by virtue of only four teams can make the second round of the playoffs. The top two in the West are Denver and Memphis. Denver and Memphis expect to make the Western Conference Finals and they should have no reason to believe otherwise. Those two teams believe they are good enough to be in the Western Conference Finals and by virtue of that good enough to make the NBA Finals, they have good reason to believe that. Then there's a blob of seven teams that include... The Sacramento Kings, Light the Beam, New Orleans, Dallas, the Clippers, the Phoenix Suns, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I'm forgetting, oh, the uh, the, the Utah Jazz are in that group, and forgetting one other team. But the point being, that is the blob of teams that are in that range of like three to nine. And everyone in that group expects to make it to the second round of the playoffs. Sacramento expects to, the Clippers expect to, Phoenix expects to, the Dallas Mavericks expect to, Utah probably doesn't, New Orleans definitely expects to. Not everyone is going to be able to, and yet those teams expect to get to that place where they make the second round of the playoffs, and by virtue have a chance to make the conference finals if something breaks their way. This was actually exactly where Dallas was last year. They were the number four seed. They were behind the two teams at the top of the conference, which was the Warriors and the Suns. The Suns choked, or real bad, and Dallas wound up making the conference finals. And the way I talked about it is like the 2012 Western Conference Finals with the Spurs and Oklahoma City, where... Oklahoma City found themselves in a position where they were the top team uh, with a 22-year-old or a 23-year-old Kevin Durant, a 22-year-old Russell Westbrook, and a 22-year-old James Harden, and that was our introduction to those players. We were first introduced to those children with their Western Conference Finals in 2012, or sorry, 2011, when they played the Dallas Mavericks, and. This time around, it was 23-year-old Luka who was introducing himself in the conference finals because he's going to win MVPs over the next five seasons. And so what's really interesting about that point is those teams in the group this year, whether it's the Clippers, whether it's the Suns, whether it's the Sacramento Kings, whether it's New Orleans, whether it's Dallas, those teams all expect to find themselves in the second round of the playoffs and not everyone's going to get there and adding Kyrie Irving compared to Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't change Dallas's hopes enough to make them Memphis or Denver therefore they are still in the same group now does it give them a better chance to potentially win a first round playoff series absolutely does it give them a better chance to improve their positioning absolutely these are entirely plausible possibilities and it will be interesting to see how Dallas proceeds they aren't any better or worse 
and I know I've just spent five minutes doing basketball analysis on it, this trade isn't all that interesting from a basketball analysis standpoint. It is still going to be a Luka-heavy offense. Kyrie's going to be an off-ball guard, similar to what he was doing in that year uh, last year when he came back after the James Harden trade, where he became an off-ball guard and Kevin, Kevin Durant ran the offense as point guard. That's where they. That's the space that D- Dallas exists in right now. And so from a basketball standpoint, if they aren't any better or worse in terms of end results, the reason we're watching this is for the entertainment product or the storylines. And the storylines behind this are way more interesting than the trade in a vacuum, which is team trades their number two who's barely a top 50 to 70 player in exchange for a top 20 player and flipping the top 20 player for a top 70 player involves them giving up a first round pick and a second round pick. But then when you add the names Kyrie Irving and Dallas Mavericks into this, it becomes more interesting from a storyline standpoint because, like I said, we've never seen a situation like this. And the thing that my mind gravitates to is from a labor standpoint and the labor fight between Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. And instead of looking at it from a labor standpoint, which we don't have all the details to figure out, the other interesting storyline to follow is all of the Kyrie Irving bullshit. But I don't particularly find the Kyrie Irving bullshit all that interesting either. It's just at the end of this winding, ridiculous saga that, you know, changes day to day, week to week, month to month. So often I look up and I'm like, okay, this is a story that has a lot of layers to it and is an unprecedented situation. And it's why I think talking about that at the end of the day is more interesting than talking about the actual basketball side of this move in particular. I guess we'll see what ends up happening in terms of any sort of new developments. Cause at this point, man, anything's on the table. It's wild to watch it play out and it's going to be wild to watch that. Cause again, Dallas is about the same team today as you thought they were yesterday in terms of where they go in the playoff. It'll be interesting to watch them play basketball together Watching Kyrie play with Luka Doncic is going to be interesting for a few games. From a storyline standpoint, there's so much to eat at the trough for, and we've di- we've dove into like five of the different parts of it here today. This is the culmination of years of storylines that ultimately lead to Kyrie Irving getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks. And the thing that would bring me back to this story in a week or so would be what happened in that contract negotiation that led to Kyrie Irving getting pushed out the door? Was Brooklyn ever serious about bringing him back? What was the language in the contract that led to it being broken down? That's the missing piece of information that I find interesting in the story because everything else, as we've talked about here over the last 30 minutes, is relatively straightforward from a basketball trade standpoint, from the future prospects of the Dallas Mavericks, I guess the one thing we didn't talk about is Brooklyn. Man, Brooklyn was going to get bounced in the first round with or without Kyrie Irving. That team is not better than Philly, Boston, Milwaukee. Those are probably the teams they would have played in the first round. Maybe they would have been the fourth team to make the second round of the playoffs where they wouldn't would have gotten whooped by all those teams. Cleveland probably would have been a fun first round matchup to watch, but like Brooklyn was bad. Brooklyn was a second round exit or a first round exit waiting to happen regardless of what happens. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with the future of their organization 
over the next few days, which we're not going to talk about because wait until after the trades happen to do any of the speculation and surmising of all the details. So I guess that's the Brooklyn standpoint. <laughs> Dinwiddie or Kyrie, they were they were going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. I kind of lost my flow at the end there, but I think we did a good job talking about this story. We'll come back with more labor talk in basketball tomorrow as we break down Brianna Stewart, the New York Liberty, and everything happening in the WNBA, unless there's some dramatic breaking news story that again forces us to push that podcast back, because the good thing is the labor story is one that can fit in pretty much anywhere into this podcast space when there's immediate breaking news as i've learned it's you got to kind of just go with that first and then figure out the rest later so we'll be back again all week with podcasts friends of the show are going to join us to talk super bowl we're going to have a in-depth podcast with research and data that's going to be brought to the table sometime this week and uh, in the meantime take it easy and we'll talk to you again tomorrow Kyrie Irving is so disgruntled with the Brooklyn Nets that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant camp and and that's I don't want to be here